0: Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future Podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. I would also like to mention that our next Elwin Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future volume is now available. This volume contains 12 incredibly talented authors and 12 brilliant illustrators selected by some of your favorite names in science fiction and fantasy. If you're a fan of science fiction or fantasy, you'll absolutely find new voices you will love. And if you're an aspiring writer or illustrator, these stories and illustrations provide great examples of the quality necessary to break into the ranks of professionals. Writers of Future Anthologies are available wherever books are sold in the US, Canada, the UK, South Africa, and Australia. Today's guest is two-time Academy Award winner, Roger Christian. He has directed over 15 movies and is currently in production on an animated science fiction series, a documentary series based on his autobiography, Cinema Alchemist, which we will be discussing in this interview, and a feature inspired by his short film, Black Angel. Roger won an Academy Award for creating the look of the Star Wars universe and established a long collaboration with George Lucas. He directed Second Unit on Return of this Jedi and Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace. Lucas commissioned Black Angel, Roger's debut as a writer-director, to release with Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back in cinemas. Using this immense experience, Christian has lectured globally to mentor students and future filmmakers at universities and colleges all over the world. His second short film, Dollar Bottom, won the Academy Award for Best Live Action Short Film, and he was awarded an Academy Award nomination for creating the look of Ridley Scott's Alien, establishing Roger as a cinema innovator. Cinema Alchemist, his autobiography on making Star Wars, Alien, and Black Angel, is recommended for students of film of all ages, described by New York Times bestselling author John Rizzler as a masterclass on filmmaking. And this podcast is also gonna highly recommend this as a, as a great read of um, one of the topics we're gonna cover here, A Hero of a Thousand Faces. His next book, We Can All Be Heroes, examines the relationship of Luke Skywalker, hero's journey that is connected to a global audience and Roger's own experience through spiritual transformation, written as a masterclass for everyone seeking fulfillment and happiness. That's a serious intro, my word. And one thing I'm, I also really enjoy too is he also was the um, director of Owen Howard's Battlefield Earth and we'll discuss it as well when we discuss that uh, hero's journey that Johnny Goodboy Tyler does as we also discuss Luke Skywalker.
1: So um, welcome, Roger. Thank you. Nice to be see you again and uh, would be better in person. But there we are. We have to rely on Zoom these days.
0: Indeed we do. But um, anyway, so... I wanted to break this interview into, into two pieces. One is Joseph Campbell's, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, since you've been uh, discussing that and you refer to that so often throughout your writing as something that you follow, as something that you observed as a youngster, uh, the, the myths that uh, basically uh, suck you into uh, that whole realm of existence. So. I guess let's, let's just talk about the "Hero of a Thousand Faces" by Joseph Campbell and how that impinged on your world and the way you saw things.
1: Well, it's it's the you know it's the title itself translated means there is one story, and it's told in a thousand different ways. And when you go back to legend, way back, even into the Mabaratas' ancient Sanskrit stories, and you come through Gilgamesh and King Arthur, all the legends. And I think George Lucas relating it to that was um, fortunate in actually having Joseph Campbell as his mentor. And Joseph taught George how to tell a myth, how to bury keys within Star Wars. And these keys are there that actually, connect to the subconscious they don 't connect to your conscious level, mm-hmm. and they are there to kind of help you find out who you are if you follow these keys and and you know the, the subconscious is where it 's all at. This is what Joseph Campbell was guiding everybody and I think you know I recognize this from the first film that i was what I wrote because i I wrote it as a kind of poetic myth that connected to the subconscious and you know mm-hmm. I met George Miller funny enough the director of Mad Max at a film festival way back in Avoriaz and I was in Sydney and he invited me to lunch and he gave me a copy of hero with a thousand faces and said read this because you'll fully understand what you did with Black Angel because I then didn't know Joseph Campbell and it turns out that Mad Max he took exactly from the Hero with a Thousand Faces archetype. So Mad Max 1, the hero loses the wife and child and goes into the pits. In 2, he's lost. He's out in the desert wandering, trying to find himself. And in Mad Max 3, he finds all the children and takes them to the New Promised Land. That's the hero's journey. So um, he's been a considerable influence on, I think, every filmmaker and writer and everybody you know, and I watch mm-hmm. him talk and his brilliant power of myth that was recorded in George Lucas's library. He's like a child, his eyes glowing. He is so knowledgeable on every single mythology and culture and everything and how it all interweaves into one story. So this is the basis for all, actually writing everything. So in the Hero of Thousand Phases,
0: Joseph Campbell refers to it as the monomyth which is the the story of the hero's journey which that he goes and makes his full circle back to where he started but now he's been transformed and i, I really see that you know obviously in star wars with uh, luke skywalker everything goes through because you've got the you know i think a lot of us were reduced down to the or not reduced down, but it's the 12 points where you got departure, where you've got the ordinary world, where he starts with there, and then the call to adventure, refusing the call to adventure, meeting the mentor, and crossing the threshold. I mean, that's just like step by step that George takes that, you know, the evolution of, um, of Luke through that. And then he goes to initiation. He tests allies and enemies, approach to the inmost cave, the ordeal and the reward and then the return the road back resurrection return with the elixir and so i just look at that and go like as i was reading this book I, oh my gosh because i hadn't read it before and so in order to do this interview i wanted to get through
1: this and it's like
0: wow amazing
1: yes and, and it's interesting how all the heroes like luke is an orphan you didn't have parents Uh, Frodo is an orphan. He doesn't have parents. Uh, Arthur is actually an orphan because he was taken away and brought up by Merlin. All of these great heroes are very ordinary people. Luke went from a simple farmer's hand under an obligation to his uncle and aunt to stay there they all had a yearning. They all had something inside telling them there's more to life than this. And this is the inner yearning that I think everybody has. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to follow it. And basically, the journey actually is sacrificing the ego, getting rid of the ego, which is where all of the journeys, you can see it clearly with with uh, Luke, especially when he meets Yoda, and um, he's trying to get rid of fear. And the basic... Yeah core of all these stories is the fear the fear of going to the unknown the fear of love the fear of everything which is the mind telling you and following the instinct which is the heart that's right. the hero's journey again
0: yeah and it's um interesting at the end because i was like why did luke leave you know and and then you get to the end you know and i was at the end of the book, like the hero does that. That's what he does. He, you know, he, he goes on his, his own way. And that's similar to like, I had a problem with in Battlefield Earth, how Johnny, he leaves at the end. And I realized, dang, that's the hero's journey. That is what happens there. You know? Yes. Um, you know, cause you see later on at the end of the, of the number nine where, you know, or, other stuff where luke's now out on some island on a rock you know and he gets pulled back in to to help something but he's he's moved on he's like you know he's moved up to the next level he's returned and then he's moved on
1: yes and it's the same story yeah johnny johnny was um i always equated him to being like the indigenous indians and um that's why we had him living in the wilds he's he doesn't have parents he's living there and he's got a yearning and he goes off to the yearning and that's where he returns to with his wife and um and happiness simple but the ego's gone and he's his that's his instinct it's look at Buddha, Buddha went all over the world trying to find what it is and interviewed people and f- met people, and then he ended up sitting under a tree and found it all inside himself, and there it was so that's the it's the hard thing, but it's the thing that we are duty bound to try to work towards in everybody 's life is to really is to find out who you are,
0: yeah, and it's amazing' because, like with I mean, with Luke and with Johnny, they both have mastered, I mean, Luke is, a, is an expert pilot. You know, he's he can do this amazing stuff. He's using the force, but he's he's mastered technology. And then in the same thing with Johnny, he's mastered all the technology. He's learned the stuff and he's been able to defeat these huge forces. But and ultimately, it's that finding of self, uh, that redemption that, you know, that he's just he just wants to go back. They both just want to go back and just now, I guess, moving up to the next higher level of of, of awareness or just a, a simpler life, you know, just need to have all these complexities and stuff. And he's, he's. they're both happy.
1: Yes, and I, I think it's, you know, it, it's in the end trusting your instinct, trusting that that is the right way to go. But you have to break down all of these voices and negatives and all these things that keep telling you no 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 that's not right this is what you're being told this is what you've been educated this is what everybody around you is saying don't do that it's learning to trust And, and to do that though you have to really break down the voices that are going on which we are yin and yang the brain is yin and yang it's it's light and dark it's it's luke it's darth vader it's johnny and the and and cyclers. and um it's it it's everybody has a choice and we are born perfectly beautifully in harmony with ourselves children don't have that voice everything they see it's a wonder of the world and um they just love the whoever it is who's looking mm-hmm. after them and everything they have it in some ways, we have to unlearn everything that we've been taught <laughs> yeah. and get it out of there. You can only do that through meditation. That's what I found out. That's the only way to do it. And however that is, whether you're taking a walk in the woods or looking out of a window at a cloud, whatever you're doing to go back to the source, which is you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that on um, needing to find yourself. However you're going about doing that now you've got an just before we did this you sent me a an intro uh, we can all be heroes and I think this is fascinating I'm sure some people know but most people um, don't some of the history of I mean because you won your Oscar for art design for the for the set design for Star Wars at least your first Oscar and um, what you said in here was Creating the now familiar look of the used universe and the symbolic lightsaber was like plunging deep into the mysterious depths of mythology. Reading the description of Obi-Wan Kenobi opening an old trunk and gifting Luke Skywalker his father's laser sword, as we call them, connected deeply. I recognized that just as Excalibur is the iconic image for King Arthur, this would be the iconic image for of Star Wars. I found the Graphics. Anyway, let's just go into how yes. you actually put it together. So I'm not going to read. I want you now to tell. No, no, tell that's like, okay. Yeah, we yeah, know that. Yeah. So it's, how you put it together, how you create it, that's just it's fantastic what, what you had to overcome with $0 to put together the most iconic set that exists in cinema.
1: Yes, and that's the example for this whole lesson here. You know, as I think I say in at some point, you don't need to go on this huge Indiana Jones-like expedition to get there you I had to trust my instinct and I had to think way out of the box and I had to support George and his vision when nobody else did the crew hated it and us and everything I just stuck by my guns because I knew there was something deeply beyond all of this that George had put in there and of course it's a sword of light this is the image that I thought was how it kind of related to the book in a way. And and the book is, um, this whole journey that I've had in some ways runs parallel to Luke's. I have a lot of Mm -hmm. experience and stuff. And I've been on a deep spiritual journey and and all of this. And the people who I'm talking to, and I'm mentoring a few people, they've all been saying, you've got to write this down. We need it. You know, we have Eckhart (laughs) Tolle. We have Tony Robbins. We have all these people. But I'm grassroots. I'm trying to teach people you don't have to go and spend a lot of money on courses and doing all of this. You're actually sitting down on your own. If you're washing up, you're meditating. Just focus on the water, focus on the plate, focus on how you're doing it. You're wiping out that negative voices. That's the way to do it. So and I thought, you know what? People relate to Luke Skywalker. This this is the most known word, Star Wars, now in the world. It's more we've overtaken um, Coca Cola <laughs> and Apple, so everybody relates to it, whatever culture or creed or religion, whatever you have, mm-hmm. you relate to this basic thing. So I thought I should try to put all this down, anyway, in all these experiences. So that's what I've been doing. Now I've got to get it published. And that's always the hard thing. You've got to find a publisher who will believe in it. And um, we'll get it out there too.
0: Well, hopefully we've got a few publishers listening to this podcast when it airs. And that maybe opens up a, a, a line as well. That would be nice. It would be nice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: always a hard road doing all of this stuff. As you well know, yeah. you're in the business. Yeah. so
0: Yes. So now, one of the things that People might not know how did you create, like, what was the inspiration? Of how you created the lightsaber? Because that's that's just fascinating. Because we've all, uh, at least anybody who's watched any any serious amount of of uh, science fiction movies, like you've got two thousand one space odd. It's very clean, very crisp, and it, it creates this concept that the future is going to be very pristine, very plastic, you know, hard lines uh hard lights there's not so much color there's all types of stuff with it but you didn't have that
1: no we didn't have time and we didn't have money we we, the budget was minuscule because there was no belief in george's vision um alan ladd did believe in it and, and stuck with it even went against his board to say, no, we're going to make this film. But because of that, they would give him no money and we had no time to make it. And I was more inspired by George on our first meeting saying, I'm trying to make a spaghetti Western in space. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love Sergio Leone's spaghetti Westerns Mm -hmm. and I I like that. And I'd always wanted science fiction to be dirty and gritty and real, that you didn't have to think about it. Oh, I'm looking at this fake world. I'm in a story that is real. Yeah. And that was what inspired me to go out and make everything, you know, and so I had to invent new ways to do it because I didn't have any money. I couldn't make the sets, So I I got old airplane junk and broke it down and stuck it into the sets. And um, I had to do the same with every weapon. I couldn't afford to make the weapons, nothing the stormtroopers blasters, their world war two Sterlings. And I just adapted a tiny bit Two as crossbow I made from a, an old crossbow bowcaster. So, how did you make uh, the lightsaber? Well, it was a. I, I knew that this was going to be the iconic image of Star Wars if Star Wars ever got out into cinemas, and I knew that this is a weapon of the Jedi's. It's like, it's a mystical object. So I looked and looked and looked, and I searched. I couldn't find anything, and I had junk in my office. Any object I saw I liked, I'd fill up. And I got so many, I moved to another office to fill that up. I couldn't find anything for the lightsaber until one day I went to buy the uh, two camera lenses to put on the binoculars that I'd stuck together from old camera parts. And I asked the man in London in the camera shop, do you have anything I could use for, it's a kind of light sword? And um, he pointed me to boxes underneath I don't think they've been opened in years, and I opened it up, and there it was like music (laughs) rising, (laughs) and uh, the holy grail. There were three of these Graflex handles, and they're this side battery holder that clips onto a press camera from the 30s and 40s. And I looked at it and held it and thought, "I, I, I could just use this. It had a red button. Something that's designed for something else for a purpose looks beautiful, but you don't know what. And I I had some T-strip left over from sticking around the blaster handles and um, stuck those around to make a handle on it. And I'd broken down an old um, calculator. And the bubble strip that magnified the letters... I thought that perfectly fit in the clip because I didn't think I could leave a clip on the side, and right. that was it. And we added a D-ring on the end to clip it onto Luke's belt, and I I called George over and said, I, I, I think i found the lightsaber. And he held it, and George smiled because it was weighty, and his smile is the acknowledgement of that's it. Yeah. And that was how it became about, and I made a couple more then on the spot because we had to have one we had to put a dowel in with painted with um front projection paint to try to get a glow on set mm-hmm. which they used and we we had made the rule that they the blades should not cross each other they should behave like swords so the dowel helped Darth Vader and um Obi-Wan Kenobi when they're fighting to knock against each other things like that but there it is and it's still you know it's still there as as every kid has played with the lightsaber now and it's become it's become a massive symbol of science fiction if you like and you know it, and again it's subconscious that it is a sword of light it's something that people can have and be heroes with mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's um it's amazing also just how you've done it um, how you, you originally created, which I know you've you've talked about quite a bit, but I, I'm still fascinated that something as simple as that has become so iconic and so so universal for a kid. It's, it's a toy to play with, but it also has all the symbolism connected with it as well. Yeah,
1: um, and yeah, the and fact it costs, that cost <laughs> me about fifteen dollars. <laughs> I think twelve, fifteen dollars <laughs> to.
0: <laughs> yeah, but then how you know it was uh a dowel that you put in there and then that got thin and after effects to give yes. the, uh, the, the different color uh, yeah. light that came off of it. But it's, it's such a, I, mean, I attend a lot of conventions still um, cause I'm a publisher. So I sell a lot of books and there's uh, the lightsabers concessions are huge. They're, they're yep. massive in these shows, yep. you know, it's, it's just made how people then walking around and they're not, you know, yours was, like you said, fifteen dollars. Now it's um, you can buy a box for fifteen maybe. <laughs> no, <laughs> but dollars, maybe. No, now the hundreds of The are hundreds, and some of yeah. them seven hundred dollars, eight hundred dollars for these things. Yeah, that they get and now when you've got the the double lightsabers, um, they're even more expensive. It's just amazing how much people will spend for these things to have it, and uh, they have different levels: the shatterproof, the ones with or without sound. It's just amazing
1: yeah it's 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 fantastic you know it's like you know but again you go back to the history and it's a very simple and it's uh and it has given kind of birth to something that's very important i think it's very important It's the whole of star wars and the lightsaber represents you know we we are in a troubled world and particularly star wars gave something to believe in for everybody in the world, and that's why I go whatever conventions and fan everything and everything. I treat all the fans with great respect because they found something, and that's often just alone. It creates a dialogue between a son and a father, a daughter and a mother, or vice versa, a daughter and father and son and mother. It's creating dialogue that sometimes yeah. is broken down, but they they have a common thing with the lightsaber and star wars so i'm, I'm yeah i'm humbled to be part of that uh, absolutely i had a
0: recent guest on um dan far who owns uh Salt Lake city fan x and he also recently bought then tampa comic con and atlanta comic con and indiana comic con
1: oh good and
0: his whole thing is he for him fandom is that I guess it's a quintessential element that's needed right now to help mend. Um, you have so many fractious elements in society right now. You've got the left and the right in politics. You've got the various, um, you know, gender issues. You've got education issues and all these different issues. But when you go into like, you've got you said your Star Wars, or you've got anything in, in fandom it kind of it bypasses all that because people can share a love of, whether it's Princess Leia or having their, their Jedi lightsaber or any of the other uh, characters that they have that they want to be able to emulate. People go, hey, that's really cool. I love that. Here, can I get a picture? You have no idea who the person is. You don't really care who they are. They're now in a world that you can yourself have some affinity for some appreciation yes. of, and that's something that's just definitely that Star Wars is, has helped to create that environment. Yes.
1: Yeah. That's where I first was Atlanta with yeah. all your team. Yeah, um, We met you there. We at, met there at Atlanta. Yeah. I was at, at DragonCon. Yes, yes. After Battle
0: for the Earth was yeah. returning that. And then we also met in uh, San Diego and San Diego at, Comic-Con. Comic-Con. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I got you to be a judge for their, uh, yeah. Um, fan contest. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, I'd like to go back to those.
0: Yeah, that's um, you're uh, if you're interested in one of these things here, I can definitely because I'm at this point, I'm very good friends with all the owners, and, and yeah, if you're yeah, no, we'll, yeah, we'll talk yeah. later on then. Okay, because I've got um, it would be like a no brainer to get you to come to these things. Yes, I can assure you. Okay, so anyway, so now you've, again, this is for the writers and illustrators of the future. So, the contest was originally created by Oren Hubbard and you have your own appreciation of Elwin Hubbard because of Battlefield Earth. Had you read the book before you did the movie or, how, or that became as a result of being approached on the movie or how'd that fit in on reading
1: the book? I knew, well, he was a, He was the most prolific pulp fiction writer on the planet, I think, still probably is in terms of what he'd written. So, you know, I knew of him through all of that. I hadn't written, I hadn't read it all, but I'd read some of it of Battlefield Earth. And then, of course, that was the first thing I did and realized there's a huge connection here. Um, Yeah. And again, when you, all this kind of fandom and the simplicity of this, it's all like a metaphor because there's, the evil empire. Yeah. There are the evil cyclos, and then in amongst it are the organic kind of people who are the real people, and that's the fight, and that's the fight of the world going on right now. So it's uh, um, it all ties in, yeah, <laughs> it's in the writing.
0: No, and there's a reason why like Battlefield Earth is remains one of the best selling science fiction books of all time. Star Wars, even as how when did when did the first one come out? 77. 1977. And yeah. it's still one of the most beloved movies.
1: Yes. Yeah. Just
0: just amazing. Just that truth does ring ring through that, that 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 resonance that people can have with something that's deeper than just, you know, here's a a fun action adventure. Yeah. You know, it actually tells a story that you can relate to or or wish that you could relate to better.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. So now for cause you've written an autobiography, but you also did when you wrote, um, dark angel, what was your, as, as a writer, then what was your process? Cause we've got not people that are listening to this, who are aspiring writers and aspiring artists. So I'm for the writers listening to this thing here, what was your personal journey to go from being a, involved with cinema, creating, um, that and to actually
1: writing. Um, it's always a hard process when you're (laughs) (laughs) starting. But um, I realized uh, it it, it came about because I'd gone back to film school and I thought, you know what? I can't talk anymore. I've got to do something. I've got to make something and show people you have to do that. So I thought, right, I got to sit down and write something. And then I really thought, what do I love? And I loved King Arthur. I loved mythology. I loved that arena. And, like George Lucas, my hero was Kurosawa, the great Japanese samurai director, um, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to combine all of that into a mythic, mystic story. And then, of course, I knew I would have no money, um, <laughs> so I realised I couldn't. So, and I, I also, I kind of watched with. second kind of favorite director was this Italian Tarkovsky and Tarkovsky made these stunning films, Mirror and um, Nostalgia, a lot of different films. He only made films for the subconscious. You couldn't sit in the cinema thinking, what's this story? You had to let it go and absorb it. Mm -hmm. Um, He got Academy Awards. I mean, it's a very famous director. So I thought, okay, I got to do that. and. so I kind of, I just I filtered it all down. I started writing notes and writing stuff. I filtered it down to okay, what is the knight's creed? That was interesting. A knight's creed was he had to go off, find a maiden, and slay a dragon and free the maiden, which is the mythic journey. Um, so I kind of based it on that and made a full circle of how, and again. It, I I was having trouble. How do I start this and end it? I got Mm -hmm. it started, and I got the middle. I got it going through. And then I went back to another favorite book, um, William Golding, who's a fantastic British writer who wrote this book, um, Pincher Martin. And he did the first lines in the book. You realize the story that this sailor who they find on a beach – is actually goes on this incredible mystical journey. And when it ends up, the last thing in the book, there's two seamen walking along saying, look at that poor man. He died. He didn't even have time to get his sea boots off. And you realize then that this was a journey in the last dying moments of a man's life. So I took that full circle idea and took that and made it work. But, you know, when I was writing Cinema Alchemist, part of it is how I made Black Angel. And I, I went deep inside. And thought, where do stories come from? I, when I met George Lucas, who was in Gaia in uh, in Mexico, mm-hmm. we were working in, in, in fierce heat, terrible conditions. Several of us got paratyphoid. I was on the point of dying. They shipped me into a hospital and um, stuck with intravenous tubes and everything. I remember a poster of Scotland on the wall. I don't know why, but it was there. And I remember the point whereby I thought, this is it. I was so weak and ill. I thought, well, I'll just give up. And then I remember this point where I said, no, I'm not going to end it here. I've got too much to do, and I made this vow and commitment to myself, and I got well. Yeah, it was when that air bubble was going down the tube. There was an air, like- well, that was the point. <laughs> it was a web double in, in the intravenous tube, and I was watching it. I knew when that goes in the vein, you're dead, and I was watching it, thinking all of this stuff, and the nurse came in and, and went, oh, and, and fired it into my arm, and I waited for the explosion, and then later (laughs) translated because none of us could communicate that that was a different vein but (laughs) that (laughs) was the inspiration there was Scotland because I I did what Kurosawa did where he used Mount Fuji as a huge dramatic part of his stories I went and used Scotland that no one had ever filmed before with its mystical beauty and cinema scope even though we had no money but I got the lenses and an old camera Mm -hmm. and I did it and the story relates to a knight's death. The black angel is death, and the knight can't beat him. Um, and he rescues the maiden by doing that. And i couldn't afford a dragon, so I, we made a bat that was on the helmet that flew <laughs> off on, on the on the shield of the of the, of the knight um, so it came from all of that being mixed together. But in the end of the day, when I look at it now, it's from whatever was inside me. It wasn't an outside story. I wasn't trying to copy anything else. And that's mm-hmm. what I always encourage writers now, to find those stories that you believe in so much, you have to go and tell it. Because I get asked all the time, oh, how do I be a film director? And I say, that's, you're not going to get an answer. There's no question. There. If you tell me, I've got this story, I've got to tell it. How do I do it? What should I do? Should I animate? Should I? How do I tell this story? Now you've got a, a, a mentor going on, a ship, but how to do it. So um, it's interesting because I've kept the original scripts, everything that when I went up to Scotland with coffee stage <laughs> scripts and everything, you know, and I made it with a crew of nine and, and no money. Uh, got it made, and again, it was a commitment, a dedication, and I was lucky enough that George commissioned it, which had enabled me to get the finance from the British government. We got a £25,000 grant for emerging filmmakers, so I kind of tied it all together and just went and did it, and, and it was it was a leap of faith. Yeah, <laughs> was, yeah. But... You know, the result was John Borman, before he made Excalibur, I got an invite to go down to Pinewood Studios to the biggest screening room. His entire crew was there, and he said, Roger, I'm showing the crew Black Angel, and this is what I want. And my DP was with me. He was out the back throwing up in fear. And, uh, you know, I said to John, look, I had a crew of nine people. You're going to have 200 people and toilets and everything. But he said, I know. But that's what I want. What you've done is what I want to put into this. Um, And it's not through ego or flattery I'm saying that. It's because John is also a fantastic filmmaker who's made incredible movies that are so individual and so powerful that um, he recognized something that Mm -hmm. was deep below the surface,
0: so now someone who is an aspiring, we'll flip it over now, to um, art. So as, as an art form, creating um, movies, but also just from the art, because you started off, Star Wars started off, you had those paintings that were done that were the, um, George worked with Ralph McQuarrie. Yeah, Ralph McQuarrie. Genius. With the, yeah, with these paintings that then sparked what you then did and creating the set design. And that's something that uh, was the topic of Dan Farr's keynote speech when he talked at, um, at the uh, uh, last rise of future awards gala was you can have all the actors, you can have all this stuffer, but it's the artist and it's the authors, the writers who actually create those worlds that then the actors um, and other people can then uh, bring to life. So a little bit about that, how, that worked, and how that how important that is with that initial paintings that you had to work
1: with. It's essential, and just you know, like for instance, when I did, well, yeah, when we did um, Star Wars, George brought six paintings by Ralph Macquarie. and Ralph is an absolute genius. And, and my documentary part of that is to give him in some light, and because he's he's um, his. Inspiration in six little paintings, the entire world of Star Wars is created from that. Um,
0: and that documentary, say what the name of the documentary is, because I watched that too as part of the preparation for this.
1: Yeah, I've split it into six now, so they're trying to sell that as six episodes. So we'll oh, see what happens. Hopefully they can get a sale on that. You know, it's, it, the industry is very different nowadays, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, the, um, so that inspiration. Is essential. Obviously, I read George's script and I already had read Jung and (laughs) Mm. I mean, every writer that I could find who were writing prophecy and fantasy. I was a huge collector of graphic novels, which at the time we had to go one little bookstore in London that had them, or we would go there and buy them. And I collected things that appealed to me always. I right. looked at what was in my realm. So I was always containing myself to where I knew that my world that I wanted to see could originate from. And we're magpies, and it's not stealing. It's, it's Everybody does it. Everyone on the planet builds on somebody's work. So I, I, you know, my black angel when he's riding on a horse with his axe, I tried to replicate Frank Franzetta's, sure warrior painting. There it was, um, and I went with my DP to look at paintings, because then there was no Google, don't forget, there's no computers, there was nothing then. We we had to look at Encyclopedia Britannica or books. I had to go to the bookstores and libraries and I looked and I, I was finding different areas of inspiration. And I went to what look at Angra, the painter, and I went to look at de la Tour, Georges de la Tour, who stood out alone in the renaissance period when everyone was doing formal paintings he was painting candlelight with crumbs all over the table and in light sources i i i can't say enough that you have to go you know one of the best advices i heard recently for actors somebody said stop acting go and live that's your mm-hmm. best work as an actor Um, And it's the same for us, you know, and I think mine came out of, I was lucky in London. There were 12 art theatres. I would go every week. There was a Bergman, a Visconti, a Pasolini, a a Trudeau, um, Kurosawa, uh, you name it. There were art movies going on, and I was relishing everything and learning from everything like that. So these are the masters. Nowadays, of course, everyone wants to do these massive DC and Marvel movies, and they're fantastic. America makes eyes like nobody else can. Most of them are cinema experiences on the mass of music and action and everything. They don't really stay with you after a year. You're, you're waiting for the next fix and the next fix. When you look at Star Wars and Battlefield Earth, it, They stay with you because they're connecting to this inner level that I'm talking about, and Mm -hmm. I think writers need to. And and it's the hardest thing to get that blank page or the empty computer screen now as normal. It's not the blank page anymore, and try to put those first words down. But all you have to do is doesn't matter where it is, where the story is, you find something that you really connected to and write that down and there you'll get a story arising around it. it doesn't matter if it's the beginning the end if you throw it out afterwards it it connects you to an idea so art artists are a huge inspiration and now we have Doug Chang who's inherited the place of Ralph Macquarie in the Star Wars universe, Doug designs every single Mandalorian, Obi-Wan series, the um, Boba Fett series, all the Star Wars movies since. He's another genius, this man. And when you look at his art, there it all is. But he's interesting because he told me, he said, whenever I get stuck, I go back and look through the archives, and Ralph McQuarrie has already designed it. It's there (laughs) in a sketch. Something is there. Mm -hmm. So um, I think... You know, George was Star Wars. He didn't sit down and write A New Hope. He wrote so many different versions. He started off like Flash Gordon. He started here, there, shaped here, went there. And then he denied the force. He thought, no, no, no one's going to watch this. And it was his wife and Gary Kurtz who said, no, this is a really good idea. You've got to put this back because he took it out. There are also wise mentors around you who aren't egomaniacs who are only looking at what you're doing with a eye to helping you which is mentoring Mm -hmm. and I think all of those things come to play you know and nowadays it's harder because we don't get these art movies anymore you don't get these passionate low-budget projects so much anymore we we had a We had a lot, but they're all there. They're all there on download now on Criterion Channel and all of these different elements. You can have them. I was just mentoring a young girl in India who wanted to be a film director, and I said, go and get out every Sajid Ray movie you can because he told stories. And they might be a story in a village of a very simple thing, but they're so powerfully emotional, and he got Academy Awards for it. I think that's... It's what, why I'm now, my focus now is actually on starting to mentor. I want to put this now onto Zoom channels. And I realize they have master classes. Everybody's mm-hmm. doing it. But I don't think you get as much as being a one on one with somebody or looking in their eyes like we are. At least we're talking, we're relating. Right. There's right. more to this than just watching and copying.
0: Exactly. And that's, I think that's one thing that's really important that people, understand here too because one thing i got is your your storytelling or on your book it's very personal you know your autobiography i really much more uh readily duplicated what you went through and it's interesting because i when i the opening book where you talked about your the ordeal in in mexico when i got to uh your it was a review or an overview near the end of the book you said where it all happened, that Black Angel came together was at that incident, and I knew okay, yeah, uh, there's something significant about this. And it came, you know, later on near the end of the book, where yes. he said this was a this was that moment for me that my life changed when I realized it. A lot of the the uh, fancy tomfoolery, the the fluff, dissipated because what I had left was just, you know when you're gone that's it so you reduce down to finding yourself and what was really important to you yes. and i think that's important because there's there are so many distractions in today's society right now that makes it all the harder you know with social media which you talk about and these other things that make it really hard to have that you know personal realization about self you know you talk about meditation um i've also experienced with you know, with, with Mr. Hubbard, with, with Dianetics, I've had that, you know, in Scientology has helped me, but it's, but it's important that person realize that that basic sense of spirituality that gets lost with um, the more we get into stuff and gizmos and gadgets. I need to have my latest iPhone. I need to have the newest this. I got to have that and losing. And especially now with, with the recent pandemic, you know, with people getting out of touch, being forced to isolate, that's one of the most, of anything, that's probably been the most destructive thing that's happened on this planet in, I don't know, since the flood. <laughs> I don't know, but it, yeah. it's been really, no, really agree. bad. People are like, so yes. you know, out of communication. And so I think what you've written there and what you've discovered and, wh- and what's communicated in, in Star Wars, you know, the hero's journey, It's, it's we all have a hero within us. I think that's one of the things that you make very, very clear.
1: Yes, it's very essential to find it. You know, as you're saying with the pandemic, I look at now there are there are rising cases of depression and suicides and all of this stuff. Something's wrong, right? You know, and it isn't fixed by pills. It's not fixed by covering it up. It's fixed by opening up an awareness in people, um, and they need support. We all need mentors. That's the Mm -hmm. lesson in all of these great books. You need a mentor to help you and advise you, and they come. They're there. It's funny how they appear. You don't sometimes realize it, you know. It's just there they are. They come, Mm -hmm. and then they will be open to help. Um, as you said, I mean, social media now—it's it's like it's so scary that that just people have no attention spans anymore. That's why I'm writing this book because I'm trying to show people that you can meditate. You don't need to go and join classes and join this and do that and spend a lot of money on courses and books and everything. It's a matter of sitting down, looking at a candle flame. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> Okay,
0: now you've also, you know, directed other films like Life of Brian. You know, Monty Python is such a different universe than Star Wars. Um, or uh, when you when you created Alien, you know, worked on that and almost and almost was nominated for an Academy Award. How does that? What would be the underpinning to? just this span of types of of movies that you've created and worked with and have been such a major influence on.
1: They're all, funny enough, they're all like used universe. And in fact, (laughs) when you look, you know that the end scene of Life of Brian, let's all look on the bright side of life. (laughs) We filmed that right above where Luke's cave is in Tunisia. I took them back there to film it. We built the crosses right there. Um, But they all have you know ridley needed that he called it a space truck get me a used space truck and um he he really picked up on the millennium falcon hold what i'd done with it to make it look like a real spaceship and that's what i founded everything on and making it and i just bought tons more scrap and stuck it in and drain pipe (laughs) and everything we didn't go and design it
0: right
1: it's interesting how somebody called me when they were doing the prequel the first one um he he called me from the art department he said it's very interesting he said because you just went and got stuff and you stuck it on and you knew how to make it work he said we have scrap that is designed on a drawing board and each piece is done and each screw is pointed out and we're doing it like that and he said i prefer you getting old car hubcaps and sticking them on i think you got it more real that way yeah um but and i i've you know, Dave Filoni, who's really the the kind of master creative inside of Mandalorian and Obi-Wan and all of these, he's a stickler for the first Star Wars and how we did it. And he's brought everything back into that series. Um, and I think that's why it connected so powerfully again to the world. Mm-hmm. Mandalorian is loved by everybody and... Um, he got that same look, the same kind of used universe, the same kind of deserts and um, an appeal to it. The ships, everything they're dented, they're old, everything is used. Yeah. And you're not questioning it as an audience. You're not looking at some science fiction design that is so futuristic. You're having to absorb it and kind of question it as an Mm -hmm. audience. When, when it's, when it's a real environment then you just can get on with the story that's basically what it is and you believe in yeah. it
0: yeah it was i watched the first however many seasons of it i got kind of disinterested when it became a battleground for other non-mandalorian non-star wars issues at that yes. point i was like i was, no, I was out of wielded yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow which is all the more reason to have, to have what we're talking about here because that's yes it's such a wrong target, all these things here that that makes it difficult for people to find their inner hero
1: yes, correct yeah.
0: so now on um, on the making of your your movies, so you've got more projects that you've got going on here, but I mean it's amazing what you're able to do, and there's sometimes I'm here in Hollywood, you know, and there's always I need my budget, I need my budget, I need my budget. When I talk to to various folks, and you know, you've got was it Life of Brian where the horses were the coconuts hat
1: shells? No, that was um that was It was um, one of the Monty Pythons. No, yeah, it was Monty Python, it's the um um uh forgotten the title. No, it's the King Arthur one. Yeah.
0: But they just, couldn't afford
1: horses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had no money, Monty Python. You understand to make their movies.
0: Yeah. So you look at these amazing movies and you're like, wow, that was just brilliant. But if, you know, as a, as a director, your uh, top goal has got to be to make the movie and not like, I need to find the money. You know, it's like yes. it's, a, it's a wrong target to say you got to have the money. You know, the, the correct target is you need to have such a desire to make the movie that you overcome all obstacles. And so can you discuss that? Because I think that's really important that people get that.
1: It's very um, much behind Battlefield Earth Mm -hmm. because there was not the finance for that movie. And then the independent filmmaker, when I went into Montreal, I was told we had $9 million to make this massive epic And everyone said, you can do it because you did it on Star Wars. So that's what we did. And the budget still for that massive epic was only $44 million. And however much Hollywood condemns me for being completely um, uh, illusionist, saying the budget was easily 75 million dollars i know because john travolta and i had to sign the final sign off on the final film and it was 44 million dollars and and even the LA times caused me uh, delusional that they all know it was 75 million dollars so we made it we did it and like the last line in my book cinema alchemist i say don't let anyone tell you you can't you can and we did it and at the end of the day it's the hardest thing that we have in our lives and it's got way more difficult it's partly why I had time to write another book because I'm waiting for finance on the feature version that's inspired by Black Angel and we've got everything in place I've got my actors everything trying to get the money to make it as an independent film has proven like very difficult so you have to keep going with it but I've I've stripped it down, I'm going down and dirty, I'm doing everything, everything's arranged in Morocco to shoot it and make it the same way you made the original Star Wars. Um, The hard thing is to get people to believe in that because, oh no, you need this, or you need CGI, or you need a big star and all this stuff, then it doesn't get made. The, the, The ground in Hollywood is littered with millions of movies that have started out with a great belief in them and just don't get made. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of, you're right. You have a story and you've got to stick with it. Somehow you've got to get it made. And that's how, that's how this process kind of happens somewhere. Something connects if you can. And sometimes it takes, look at sacrifice. A beautiful, it's it's Scorsese. Took him 12 years to get the money to make that film. You'd think Martin Scorsese. And he had like, he had, DiCaprio at one point, he had um, Liam Neeson he ended up with, who's brilliant in it. It took him 12 years, he said, to get that financed. But he stuck with it, and he got it made eventually. So you have to find distractions, find things to do, and believe in yourself, and believe in what you're doing, but don't have illusions. I, I lectured to students in Malaysia, 250 students. You know the only question I got asked, how do I win an Oscar? You know what I did? I showed them the Wizard of Oz, a piece of it where they're all skipping up the yellow brick road and said the yellow brick road that's gold. There's a tin man he wants um he wants a heart and there's a lion who wants courage and um scarecrow and I said they get to the end and there's this amazing Emerald city, and there they're going to find it all and what do they find? An old man behind a purple curtain pulling levers and I said, basically that's Hollywood because there's a few." conglomerates behind governing everything but they'd found it going on the road (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) they found what they wanted so you have to kind of have again it's all related to the spiritual journey you have to find it in yourself and have the commitment to get on and do it and nobody's going to give you 100 million dollars out of the box Um, you have to find a way to get a story told and that people can see. So, you know, the, the, and everything goes back to the writing. Everything. Yeah. Everything comes back to what you've written and how you interpret it and to a vision that maybe you have an artist or somebody who you're looking at or something that they're, as you pointed out, those are the two elements that you can show people at least.
0: That's right. And I think it's... um. For those who are aspiring writers and artists, I think what we've just discussed today is is um, is really important. And I think also that people, uh, for more understanding about what we discussed here, you got the hero of a, of a thousand faces, Joseph Campbell, but you've also got uh, your own book that you've that you've written that
1: Cinema Alchemist, yeah, yeah Cinema Alchemist,
0: which um, I mean, just right when I read that that opening. Uh, sequence and opening chapter i was just like addicted to it i was just i was hooked it was i was fascinated at your journey you know even as as a as a young boy coming up and going through the you know that period in in uh, england and then making it out to getting connected up with um george and how that whole how that whole journey went it's just an amazing journey i think i'm just totally fascinated i think people listening to this are going to should actually check check this out and then whenever this movie makes it out or the your documentary because i really enjoyed that
1: yeah it's it's uh it's interesting how it's proof you know uh, as i tell everyone i didn't write this for ego look what me look what i did or how great this is it it things happened and there's a certain the brain is definitely a transmitter the brain sends out signals of what you want Mm -hmm. and it'll come back at the level at where you're getting to. So this isn't science fiction. This is real. And, um, you know, Bob Proctor wrote the secret and uh, the, 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 these things that you're getting answers. And so I look at it. Was it, was it an accident that Luke found a message that came from a robot and Mm -hmm. decided to go and try to find the robot. Was it an accident that they got attacked by Jarvis and he got knocked unconscious and he meets Obi-Wan Kenobi? He he didn't go to find him. He didn't even know he was there. He had a master living there. These are exact kind of illustrations of how things will come to you if you can really believe and elevate yourself into those levels
0: which is amazing. And with that, we've come to the end of our hour here. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Thank you. Part so very much. Yes. <laughs> it's not, part two will definitely come up.
1: Well, we always have great times, you and I. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I look Absolutely. forward to some more. Yes. And thank
0: you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast where you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the US, Canada, UK, Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon. We're especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Roger.
1: No, it's my pleasure and I really enjoy it. It's good for me. It's it's another practice for mentoring, you know?
0: That's good, absolutely.